0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32 is where it will be this morning as we continue on in our series through the book of Exodus. And it's... If you haven't been here with us the whole time, or I know it's kind of been a while since we've even been in this book, but Israel has been set free from Egypt by the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of the Lord. They walked through the Red Sea and now they're back at Mount Sinai or or Mount Horeb, where that's where Moses was originally called to go. They've received the Ten Commandments. They've received more instructions for how to love God and how to love their neighbor. But while Moses is up on the mountain, getting the rest of the law, getting the tablets with the law on them, it's been 40 days. The people, the people are getting a little antsy. They get a little twisted. They're wondering what's happening. Where's Moses? And the people need to do what many scholars have said, check themselves before they wreck themselves. And that's exactly what they do. They wreck themselves here at the bottom of Mount Sinai with a golden calf and with idol worship. And then the wrath of God comes down. But there is hope for idolaters at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And there is a hope and a future for the idolaters in this room. This is what Exodus 32 shows us. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And we'll begin in 32.1. So actually open your Bibles or use your phone. Uh, If you're able to just stare at me and listen, I apologize. You you should bring a device or something or a Bible, something. And if not, we'll get you a Bible. We'd love to do that. Beginning in verse 1. Here's what the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother Moses. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, come make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings that are on your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into the image of a calf. Then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Then Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people who you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people and they are indeed a stiff necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, Why does your anger burn against your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. And relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. And I will give your offspring all this land that I promised. And they will inherit it forever. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, inscribed front and back. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, it's not the sound of a victory cry and not the sound of a cry of defeat. I hear the sound of singing. As he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. He took the calf they had made, burned it up, and ground it into a powder. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water and forced the Israelites to drink the water. Then Moses asked Aaron, what did these people do to you That you've led them into such a grave sin. Don't be enraged, my Lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know that the people are are intent on evil. They said to me, Make gods for us who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. And they gave it to me. And when I threw it into the fire, out came this calf. Moses saw the people were out of control. Aaron had let them get out of control, making them a laughingstock to their enemies. So Moses stood at the camp's entrance and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites gathered around him. He told them, this is what Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel says. Every man fasten his sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from entrance to entrance. And each of you kill his brother, his friend, his neighbor, those who are for the calf and not for Yahweh. The Levites did as Moses commanded. About 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Afterward, Moses said, Today you have been dedicated to the Lord since each of you went against his son and his brother. Therefore, you have brought a blessing on yourselves today. The following day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They've made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you, but on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. And the Lord inflicted a plague on the people for what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we read and as we look at this text, this story of idolatry that our ancestors have been through. And with this passage today, would would it not create in us a kind of wagging of our heads and tisking and, and waving our fingers at the past? But would this passage become a mirror for us today? Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, years ago when I was in Thailand, I saw something I'd never seen before. And it wasn't the deep fried crickets that you could buy for a little snack. It wasn't the elephant, the baby elephant being led by a string as a pet on the street. I'd never seen people bowing down to gold statues and worship and adoration. I'd never seen people lighting incense and, and bowing down to these statues, ones that aren't even solid gold, but some kind of plaster and just foil-leafed, paper mache gold on them. It made all kinds of Old Testament texts, like Exodus 32, it made them come to life. It made them click. And I, I, I got to tell you, I, I hate that it took being in Thailand— to make Exodus 32 come to life for me. Because the only reason it took Thailand to make Exodus 32 make sense and click with me is because my view of idolatry was too low. It was too disconnected from real life. It it, it was too disconnected from my life. Uh, Beloved idolatry, Worshiping idols isn't just found and people bowing down and paying homage to statues. Idolatry is bigger than that. Idolatry is everywhere. We've all committed idolatry. Everyone in this room, we are either former or current idolaters. And some of us are in the heat of idol worship right now. Friends, idolatry is when you take a good thing and you turn it into a God like thing. A good thing into a God like thing. Romance, which is good. But then when you treat it like a God like thing, that if I don't have it, my life is ruined. If I don't have it, my life is worthless. If I don't have it, then what's the point? I can't go on, I'll be miserable. You can take anything and turn it into a godlike thing. Money, a promotion, success, a friendship, being in a certain weight bracket, having a certain identifiable muscle that wasn't identifiable before, being seen as smart, intelligent, knowing all the answers in small group, food and drink, and you look at it and you say, fulfill me. Give me my taste of heaven now. And I think Leanne Rhymes sang it best. How do I live without you? I want to know. How do I breathe without you? If you ever go, how do I ever, ever survive? That's how we feel about idols. Now, there's nothing wrong with money or a promotion or a nice house or a new car or being gifted Rockets tickets from a church member. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the problem comes when we take those things and then we promote them. I love the way Matt Smethurst, who works for the Gospel Coalition, tweeted a definition of idolatry. Idolatry is giving a good thing a promotion it doesn't deserve. Idolatry is giving a good thing, a promotion it doesn't deserve. I I love that. Because there's nothing wrong with liking and wanting nice things, but it's when those things are asked to serve above their pay grade that idolatry is committed. It's exactly what Aaron did. He presents the calf, and what does he say? What do all the people say? Your gods who brought you out of Egypt, that gold, that calf, that statue did nothing, but it was promoted Above its pay grade. So, so church, what has been promoted in your life and been promoted in your heart and promoted in your mind that needs to be fired? That it's in your heart and in your mind and you need to look at it in the face and say, why don't you step into my office? Because I need to let you go. Today's the day. Don't give that idol a two-week notice. Don't give it, oh, January 1st. Don't give it a severance package, an exit strategy. It must be fired. It must be pulverized, ground to a powder. And Exodus 32 shows us how. It documents how idolatry happens and how we can return, how we can come back from it. And here's the first thing we see, beginning in verse 1. Idolatry forgets God. This is the first step. Idolatry forgets God. Look at verse one. So when the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, "Come, make gods for us, who will go before I mean how pathetic, make a God for us. But that's what we like. We like things we can control, that are like us, created. Make a God for us who will go before us, because this Moses, and that's a very derogatory structure in Hebrew this thing this Moses he's gone we don't know what happened to him the man who brought us up from egypt we don't know where he is make us a god Moses has been up on the mountain for 40 days and the people have lost their confidence in god beloved there are three emotions and thoughts that begin to form in your heart before you, before you, like really give rise to idolatry fear discomfort and doubt where's Moses we don't know what's happening where is he? We need a God. Fear, discomfort, and doubt. And when that mixture begins to arise in your heart because of life circumstances, that is when the principalities and powers of this age want to point you somewhere else other than God and his promises. When you're fearful, the idols of power and security rise up. I, I need to get control of this situation. When you are uncomfortable, unsure, The idols of comfort and approval at all costs are forged in your heart. And when you doubt, the idol of wanting to be like God himself, knowing everything, emerges from the fire. And this is the point. There are desires in our hearts that handcraft the idols in your life. There are desires in your heart that handcraft these idols. I mean, Aaron is a total pathetic liar in this passage, isn't he? Moses asked him, "How did this happen? What did the people do to you? Did they put you at Rock Point. That you made this? What happened?" He said, "Man, I, I I don't know. I threw in the gold, and the calf came out. Idolatry just happened to us. No, no, no. Idolatry doesn't just happen to you. You happen to it. You don't just get in thirty-two thousand dollar credit card debt overnight." Idolatry. You happen to it. And look at the way they talk about God and Moses. Something they have forgotten something. Verse 1. Come make gods for us. Why? The man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Siren should be going off in Aaron's mind, who was right there beside Moses the whole time during the Exodus. Who really brought them out of the land of Egypt? God. And here they are attributing it to Moses, the man. They have forgotten God and elevated Moses. Moses didn't bring them out. He was a vessel The people have heard constantly. I am the Lord your God who brought you out. I am the Lord God who brought you out with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. But here they are saying, man brought us out. It's what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 106. At Horeb, they made a calf and worshiped the cast metal image. They exchanged their glory, which is God, for the image of a grass-eating ox. They forgot God their Savior and the, who did great things in Egypt. And the idolatry that unfolds in our life, these, these over-elevated desires, these, these perverse passions and cravings that are out of control, elevated to the place of God and devaluing God because we have forgotten God our Savior who did great things at Calvary. Idolatry forgets God. And there's like an inner dialogue that happens in our hearts where we say things like, I know you said you provide for me, and Lord, I know that you said you will lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, but this five pounds I could lose, that will put me in a green pasture. I know you'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. But if I could just get that promotion, if my kids would finally be like what I have fashioned in my mind, if my spouse would finally, then I'll be happy. Did you notice the other thing idolatry forgets about God? I mean, there's a lot of them, but it's that God has no equal. They forgot the truth that we sing all the time. You have no rival and you have no equal. That's why verse four is so, so awful. Look at verse four again. What do the people say? Israel, these are your gods, plural, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So the calf is not replacing Yahweh. They are putting the calf next to Yahweh. They're not trying to get rid of God. They are crowding God. Yahweh and the calf. They both brought us out. They've committed the sin of syncretism. Now you probably wonder, why are they making a calf? Why not make something cool like a dragon or a liger or a tiger, something awesome? Why a sweet little lame baby calf? Here's why. Because in Egypt, cattle gods were everywhere. They had, they had gods that had cow heads, gods with cow bodies. And so they are remembering what they knew in Egypt, what they knew of the world, and they're bringing that understanding and syncing it up with the worship of Yahweh himself. Idolatry is when we want to add to the Trinity. We want this experience, this joy, this money, this pleasure to be also on the same level as God. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit are great. And in their presence is fullness of joy, but I really won't be content until I have this. I really won't be able to have peaceful sleep until I have this. I'm I'm grateful for the cross and resurrection of Christ, for my sins being paid for, for me having new life. But my joy will be actualized when the perfect family vacation with the perfect pictures and memories that I've pre-forged in my mind actually happen. And beloved, I think one of the most common idolatries in the Bible Belt actually looks a lot like the sacred cow event that we're seeing. It's taking the religion you like that's in your mind, in your heart, and putting it next to God and having God on your own terms. Now, when I compare myself to my children, I realize I'm not a picky eater. But that's unfair because I always got chicken strips and burgers everywhere I went to as a kid. Why wouldn't you? They're always good. But I like to think I'm not a picky eater. And I know people would disagree, but I just like what I like. I don't think that should be a crime. I eat salad, or at least I used to, but now it can ruin your life. You eat salad these days. <laughs> I eat some vegetables, especially if they're deep fried. I don't mind some dressings and spreads and aiolis and all these weird things. I've eaten oysters, they're disgusting. I, I can be adventurous. But I really dislike when you go to a restaurant and they don't allow for substitutions or changes. Can I get this? No, it's the way it comes. Why? I don't want the kale foam on my steak. Can we get rid of that? Why can't I have double potatoes instead of artichoke hearts and beet liquid? I don't want that. But they're doing that for a reason. Because there the chef knows the customer isn't always right. They know what they're doing with flavor profiles and combinations and fats and acids and salt and heat. And beloved, God is even more intense with this reality. You cannot have God on your own terms with your additions and subtractions and combinations and substitutions. When he said back at the beginning of Exodus, when Moses said, What is your name that I should tell Israel that you've sent me? What does the Lord say? I am who I am. You get what you get. You are learning me. You cannot change me. I am who I am. I am sovereign. I am unmovable. I am undilutable. I am all powerful. They're discovering this about God all the time. I am who I am. But in the Bible Belt, and I think in churches like ours, people love the idea of God, but they don't want all the stuff that God commands. They don't want all the stuff that also comes with God. Like, people want to go to heaven, but don't make me go to church. People want deliverance from hell, but then they don't want deliverance from their sins right now. People want forgiveness, but they don't want to be made to forgive. Those are false religions an idol, a religion you've created and put next to God and said these are the gods that have delivered me from my sins and the true and living God says that's, that's not me. You must go to the true and living God, the crucified and resurrected Jesus of Nazareth who will turn you from idolatry, who will tell you sell all that you have and give it to the poor, confronting the rich young ruler's idol, confronting Zacchaeus, Confronting Matthew, the tax collector. Confronting all of us and our different situations. The woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. Leave all those relationships behind that you're involved in. Pay back what you owe. See, leave your idols behind and come and follow me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you turned to the Messiah who will set you free. And Christians, we must be careful not to do what else that they did. Not only does idolatry forget God, but idolatry corrupts God's gifts. Idolatry corrupts God's gifts. Look at verse 2. How does this golden calf get made? Well, We know Aaron did, but what's it made out of? Gold. Take off the gold rings so the people took off all their gold rings and all of these things. There's multiple levels of corruption happening here, but let's start with the most obvious one. Aaron throws all this gold into the fire. Out comes he's made this mold. Boom, boom, boom. There's the golden calf. Where did they get all this gold? These aren't family heirlooms. They've been in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. They didn't buy them at the golden pond on the north side of Mount Sinai. Do you remember where they got this gold? On the way out of the Exodus, as they're walking out, God tells them, ask the Egyptians for gold and they will give it to you because they're gonna be so glad you're leaving after all these plagues. So they're walking out. Hey, can I have the gold? Yes, here's the rings. Go, get out of here. Hey, can I have that gold? Yes, they have all of this Egyptian gold that they're leaving with. So what have they done? They have taken a gracious gift from God and they have used it against God. They've used it to betray God. They've used it to worship something else other than God. They've abused God's gifts for their own desires. Beloved, the scripture says everything created by God is good, 1 Timothy 4. Marriage is good. Families are good. Money is good economies are good, pleasure is good, food and drink is good. But when we abuse them and we, we use them in ways they're not to be used, we, we go against the design specs that God has given in the terms of use, and we use them in our own way, we make idols out of them. Because the gifts of God were designed to be enjoyed and then given praise to God. But when we enjoy them and then give praise to this thing and we, we promote and we Lift up this thing to a godlike status. We abuse it, and we we, we, mis- we misuse them in the way God's intended. Like Kevin's guitar right here. It's a great guitar. It's a Martin. Makes great sound. Waves come out of it. It's wonderful. But let's say we're in the office, and I'm in Kevin's office, and we're talking, and he leaves, and I'm on my way out, and I notice, oh, there's a nail popping out from the sheetrock right here. I don't have a hammer. Oh, Kevin's guitar is here. This is great. And I use Kevin's guitar to try to smash that nail head back in. What's going to happen? I'm going to destroy his guitar, and then the nail head is not, it's still going to be there. It's great at being a guitar, but horrible about being a hammer. Oh, then I notice, man, the nail head's still there. Well, good thing I have my iPhone. Now I can hammer this thing in. No. See, God's gifts... Romance and marriage and friendship and drink and food and electricity and electronics and entertainment. These are all good at being gifts. They are terrible gods. Terrible gods. And do you notice Aaron as he makes this thing? Of course, we know it didn't just pop out of the fire. Aaron is obviously very talented and skilled and a genius. He doesn't have a mobile forgery workshop with him. He made this thing in the middle of the desert. That's impressive. Aaron is smart, Aaron is wise, Aaron is skilled, and he uses his gifts and talents and intelligence against God. So listen, beloved, the gifts God has given you, your intelligence, your your craftiness, Your ability to create, your ability to teach, your ability to lead, your ability to inspire, your personality. These did not come about by your power. They are from God. So do not corrupt the gifts God has given you. Use them for his glory. Use them for his kingdom. Use them to make disciples and make much of Jesus not to acquire more idols and not to get more attention for yourself. Because the scary thing about idolatry is that you become what you behold. You become what you behold. You notice he tells them in verse nine, I have seen this people and they are stiff-necked. What is the really stiff-necked thing in the vicinity of this whole scenario? This golden calf statue. And God says, do you see? you've become rebellious, stubborn, and stiff-necked, just like that statue. Because we become what we behold. And if you worship and enjoy Christ above all, you will be transformed into His character. Into His loves become your loves. His passions become your passions. His concerns become yours. His priorities become yours. His prayers become yours. But if you worship an idol, you'll be transformed into that idol. You'll become just like it. They are becoming their idol. So, what needs to happen to this idol? What needs to happen to ours? See, John Calvin says that our hearts, they are like idol factories. And I love that image. Today, as you think about, I mean, obviously his understanding of factories and our understanding of factories are very different today. If you think about factories today, our hearts, they can crank out new widgets, new cravings, new passions, reissued fascinations from the past, a new model of last decade's wishes over and over and over. So what must be done? Idolatry must be crushed, eliminated, and overpowered by grace. Crushed and eliminated and overpowered by grace. So God tells Moses after this whole account, he tells him, I'm done with Israel. And I want to start a new line of people with you, Moses. What do you think? He's testing Moses. And he's showing the people and he's showing us, Moses does not suffer from idolatry. Because if Moses suffered from idolatry, like if anyone in this room, if you suffer from idolatry and you were heard, hey, I'm scrapping Israel and I want to start with you. If you suffer from idolatry, you would go, let's do this. Start a new line with me. Let's go. But what does Moses say? No, God. You made promises. Remember your promises, God. You made promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You're the one who led your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and out your arm. I did not. It was you, God. Don't turn from them. Bring them in. And God says, "You're right, Moses. We will keep it going. So God doesn't destroy the people completely. Moses comes down from the mountain now. Look at what happens in verse 19. Joshua meets him up there. And now in verse 19, they come down the mountain and go, hey, I hear something. There's a party going on down there. What's happening? 19, as he approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses became enraged and threw the tablets out of his hands, smashing them at the base of the mountain. And then he took the calf they had made. So you got to get this all in your mind. So obviously, this is not, it's, it's probably small. And he picks it up, carries it, and everybody's watching. And now he burns it. Light that fire. He throws the calf in there. And as it all melts, what now he, look at this, he ground it to a powder. You can see Moses over there, sweat dripping off of his forehead, him just beating this calf gold down into a powder, and probably the people are going, holy cow, we have messed up. Moses now takes all this powder, and look what the text says. He scattered the powder over the surface of the water, throws it over the water, looks at the Israelites and say, drink it. What, Moses? Drink it. He forces the Israelites to drink the water. What is going on here? He makes a tonic for the people. Drink it. And here's why. Two things why I think Moses does this. One, he wants them to see and he wants us to see that idolatry isn't just something out there in the world. It's in us. It's in us. It's not just out there on Amazon. It's not just out there on the internet. It's not just out there at some bar. It is in us. And that's our problem. And secondly, we need to see these idols for what they really are waste, excrement. If he didn't make them drink it and pass it out, and he just left that grounded up powder there, what would have happened? Moses would be asleep the next night. There'd be people out there with torches. Let's find the gold. And they're going to go collect all that gold. Moses says, no, 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 no. You need to see this for what it is. You drink it and the idol now is entering their digestive system and it's going to be eliminated. And he's showing them what their precious idol really is. Something that should evoke disgust in us like urine or fecal matter. Idols should evoke disgust, not management, not sweet memories, but as a grave sin against God. And this grave sin must be handled, must be resolved. It's one thing to get rid of the idol, but now this grave sin still remains. So what happens? Well, we saw that Moses, when he comes down, what happens to these tablets? He smashes them. And it was not a fit of rage. Moses is preaching to the people. You've already broke the law. These are a fresh set of tablets. I just came down. We are in day one. Having them, you already broke them. I leave you alone for 40 days, which is a microcosm of their next 40 years. And which is also showing us that we need someone who can survive 40 days in the wilderness in Christ. Moses shatters these tablets. You broke the law. And every time we sin, We can hear an echo of shattering tablets in the background. Every time you break God's word, there is an echo of tablets shattering in the background. And Moses asked Aaron, what happened? We saw what Aaron says. Uh, I mean, the people, you know how sinful they are. I mean, out out came the calf from the fire. You know who Aaron sounds just like? Adam. What happened, Adam? Adam, the woman you gave me. She gave me food. I ate. I mean, I'm just a man. I just eat what's given to me. And Aaron, Adam is the first priest in all of creation who rules over the temple garden. And Aaron, as the high priest, he's fallen. Now he's also blaming God's bride, his people. But thankfully, there's a hope here. Thankfully, there's a future here. Moses calls for fidelity and faithfulness to God and Levites come forward and they eliminate those who prefer the idol over Yahweh. But then something else dramatic happens in verse 30. The following day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. Maybe I can cover your sin. Maybe I can pay for it and we can move on with God. So Moses returned to the Lord, 31, and said, these people have committed a grave sin. They've made a God of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you've written. God, he's interceding for the people. If you won't forgive them, then put it all on me. Wipe me off of the earth. Get me out, out of your plan. Save them, God, and put your wrath on me. Moses is willing to be their substitute. But God rejects his plan because Moses isn't good enough. Like what the Lord says, verse 33 No, whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. See, my angel will go before you. Here's the key. But on the day I settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. He says, A day is coming when I will settle accounts. And Moses, you are not the substitute who can handle this account. That's exactly why Jesus came. The true and better Moses, who could be the one who could settle our accounts for us, who would take all of our sin and take all of our idolatry and all of our dancing before the idols of this world and all of our lawbreaking and all of our smashing of the tablets of God's word. All of it would fall on Jesus. And that he became our sin, as the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5. That as he died on that cross, our sins are being paid for in full. As he gave up his life, the wrath of God falling on him. It's Jesus saying, I will take it. I can settle their accounts. And now when the final day of judgment comes, your account will be accessed and brought up as books are opened. And if you believe in Christ, your account will read paid. Because Jesus paid it all. But if you have not turned to Christ... As the books are opened at the great white throne judgment and your name will be read out loud and there will be an accounting that will be made for your sins. And it will be you paying for them. But when Jesus died and rose again, he is showing us you can be freed from sin, Satan, and death. You can have your account paid in full. You can have an exodus into new life. I can bring you into the promised land. Because when he parted the Red Sea of death and he, he parted the grave and the soil, he rose so you could have eternal life. Do you know Jesus Christ and what he's done for idolaters like me and like you? You must turn from your idols to the Messiah. Because in Christ, idols are shown to be nothing. He is the true one. And everyone else is False. That's why 1 John 5, 21 says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. You will face the temptation today. You are facing temptations now and you will face temptations tomorrow. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Well, how? Right before that, John says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Do you know you are of God? And we know, do you know, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so we may know the true one, so you can know all idols are nothing, they're false, they're empty, they're hollow. We are in the true one, are you? That is in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God in eternal life. We keep ourselves from idols because we are in the true one. And we don't need a golden calf. We don't need an experience. We don't need X, Y, Z. We have Christ. Look to Christ. Walk with Christ. Believe Jesus. Depend on the Son of God, the true God. And you will be kept from idols, not just the ones in Thailand, but the ones in our hearts, the ones in our minds, the ones on our internet and social media history. And whoever believes in the Son, the sun will set you free. And you will be free. You will have an exodus indeed. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.